0: You know, we were talking about some dates. I brought a calendar. Calendars are funny things. I want to just kind of start talking to some of the kids. Kids, kids, you're familiar with calendars, right? You use calendars. Calendars are good. You can, you can plot ahead to, to when your birthday is, right? How many more days till your birthday? How many more days till Christmas, right? We tend to use calendars, don't we? We tend to use calendars to look ahead. Do you know God uses calendars in a different way? God uses calendars to look back. I don't know, if you're like us, you have a, a stack of last year's calendars somewhere. After the, after, the, after the year, do you take that calendar and it's like, I can't just toss that in the trash. It's got all these dates of all these events. I might want to remember those. I might want to look back. And especially if it's one of those one of those Shutterfly family picture calendars. well, You can't just throw that in the trash, so you've got to keep it somewhere. So you have a growing drawer full of the previous year's calendars, but you can use those to look back. God uses a calendar to look back. I was thinking in my head as I was aware of some of the update that we would hear, and I thought I wish there was a place that I could go to in the Scriptures that would, that would tell us a story about a time when God had provided and led his people It all seemed good, and it went so well until it didn't. And then they had a whole new need to trust the Lord for what would come next. And God had brought him this far, but how would he bring them home? And, of course, there is a story like that in the Bible. In fact, that's probably the overarching story. It's a foundational story that certainly much of the rest of the Old Testament is built upon. And even our salvation in Christ and this inheritance he's given us is, is, is stood up on that foundation of what God did then. And we're told to look back. We're told to remember that. And Psalm 95 reminds us of that story. Psalm 95 is a story about joyful faith and willing hearts. Or it's a it's a. It's an invitation to joyful faith, and it's an exhortation to willing hearts. It's a celebration psalm that was probably used regularly, year by year, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Tabernacles was an event on Israel's calendar. It came every year. In fact, if you're planning a trip to Israel, you stay away from Israel during the Feast of Tabernacles because it is packed. Everybody comes up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And Tabernacles is a time when they they celebrate that God is with them as a people. They're remembering especially the wilderness wandering and the time although they were in the desert, though they were in a wilderness, a wasteland where they needed to depend upon God and God must provide for them or they would not survive. And they dwelt temporarily in, in tents And yet, as they were going towards God's promise, while they lived in this wilderness, while they lived in that that desert, while they lived in temporary tents, God lived in a tent with them. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, observant Jews actually move out of their house, they move into a tent for the week. You call it camping. They call it the Feast of Booths. And they live in this temporary shelter and they remember God lived with us. God is our God, and God is with us, and God is for us. And they look back to what God did. And so this psalm is a a psalm that it invited God's people into that worship, remembering what God had done, and it warned them to not repeat the errors of those wilderness wandering. It invites us into worship because the Lord is the great God, because the Lord is our God. It it warns us to not harden our hearts against God's will. It warns us to not forget that it is God who meets our needs. Put all that together. Worship, according to Psalm 95, worship includes remembering God's miraculous provision and trusting God in the midst of difficulties. The psalm calls us, first of all, to remember who your God is. It invites us to come here, to come near. It's an invitation to worship. We read some of it as an invitation to worship this morning. Let me re- re-read a couple lines at a time and we'll, and we'll consider them together. Psalm 95 and verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Now, that joyful noise is not, well, you can't sing, you can't carry a tune, you won't be in the choir, but you can make a noise. Make a noise joyfully. That's not what it's saying. The joyful noise, the word noise means loud. It means shout. Hopefully it's on key, but the point is it's loud. Sing out, celebrate, don't hold back. This is good. Make Make a loud shout of praise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come. Come into his presence with Thanksgiving. Let us loudly rejoice before Him with songs of praise. To come with thanksgiving, that implies remembering, doesn't it? You need to be able to remember what it is that we're thankful for. We remember what it is. There's an awareness of how God has been working for us. To come into His presence with thanksgiving because, for, verse 3, the Lord is a great God. He is a great king above all the gods. Why, in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The, The sea is his, for he made it. Oh, wait, the sea is west. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. We need to worship together in ways that remind us of what God has done and who he is. That's what the psalm is is reminding us of. God is the rock of their salvation. That rock is going to play into the story a little bit later, so hold on to that. God is the rock of their salvation. God is El-Gadol. He is the great God. A new name for God. El-Gadol, the great God. He is sovereign over all beings and all circumstances. He's the king over all the gods. You say, wait a minute. All the gods? Has Israel suddenly become polytheistic, believing in many gods out there? No, the nations had their gods. They had these idols that they followed. And there was some spiritual reality to those idols. There were demonic spirits behind these various idolatries and false gods. But God is the great king over all those spiritual pretenders. There is only one true and living God. And so God is sovereign over all beings, even spiritual beings, and over all circumstances. God is sovereign over demons and difficulties. The deepest death and the highest heights are His. Where you can't get to, where you can't reach, God's got that. What's too high, what seems too steep, what seems too low, what seems too deep, God's got that too. The sea and the dry land. Well, there's from a vertical depth and height to, to the sea and the dry land. We've, we've gone from vertical to a to horizontal movement. But Poetically, that works, but I think it's more than that. Dry land is a big deal to Israel. First of all, when God forms the dry land, he brings order out of this, what was perceived in in the Israelite world and in the ancient Near East as a whole, the, the sea was uncontrollable. In that sense, the sea was chaotic. The sea could be stormy, and there's no way that humanity could control it. And Yet God creates order. He creates the dry ground upon which humanity can live and exercise dominion as God's image bearers. But Israel was never an ocean-going people. Israel were never a sea people. Israelites preferred dry land. That was a foundational part of their story, wasn't it? When, When God turned the uncontrollable, uncrossable Red Sea into dry land, when they came the Jordan, the Jordan is is in flood stage, it's blocking their way to the goal that God had promised, but God turned again the deep waters into dry land that that the sea and the dry land are his, these not only show God's power over his circumstances, over the circumstances that we're in the middle of, but it shows that God is with his people, that God is for his people, look at verse 6 O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Not only all the earth, not only all the the stars that you see hung in the sky as we saw in Psalm 8 last week, but He is our Maker. He is our God, verse 7, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. The second reason He calls us into worship, the second reason He says, come here, that The great God, the God above all, this great God is our God. He is with us. He is for us. There's that Feast of Tabernacles emphasis that God is here with us, even in this. He he is for us. He has made us for his own. We will bow down. We will kneel, which is not merely an outward posture. It's not just a, a form you adopt in worship. This is an attitude of the heart. We will yield our will to his will. We will trust ourselves into his hands because we are the sheep of his hand. We are the sheep of his pasture. The Lord is our shepherd. We will not want. We will not be in need. He will provide for us. You know, sheep don't provide for the shepherd. Sheep provide something for a butcher, but sheep don't provide for the shepherd. The shepherd provides for the sheep. The shepherd cares for the sheep. They are his responsibility. Have you ever thought about that in your relationship with God? That just as a child is the responsibility of mom and dad to care for that little one, to look after them, to lead and guide them, protect them, and provide for them. God is responsible for you, God is responsible for us. He's determined to be that for us. We are the sheep of his pasture. We need to know that the God who is so great, like Israel was, is reminded of this. Every year they sing this song. They're reminded of this, that the God who is so great is also our God who is with us. And we need to be reminded of it too. This is where we move from this call to worship to a warning. It's not only come here, but it's don't go there. There's something to avoid. There's something to stay away from. There's something that we are warned of. Come in worship but, and, and in contrast. Don't go there. There's where the danger is. What is the danger? Guard your heart against fainting faith. Don't go there. Today, he says, if you hear his voice... Today, if you hear his voice, now this is a psalm of David, this is not a psalm of the wilderness, apparently, although David had his wilderness experiences as well. That which Israel went through as a people, David also goes through individually and in the company of others. And David pens these words, according to Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, a recalling, not just recalling history, but turning a past mistake of God's people, into a present-day, very relevant warning, a warning that continued to be relevant today, generation after generation for Israel. That's why they brought this psalm out, dusted it off every Feast of Tabernacles. It continued to be relevant for them. It continues to be relevant for the church. The, the book of Hebrews in chapters 3 and 4 spends a significant amount of time unpacking these phrases now, this warning out of this psalm. They bring it into the church. There's something here that we can be warned from as well. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. And there's a little geography there. We'll get into that. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. They had seen what God has done, but they did not trust him. Today, each new generation is going to need to exercise its own faith in order to not repeat the past failures, the mistakes of the previous generation. Meribah and Massah ref- refers to Exodus 17. It's that time when they come in the wilderness where they, they, they ran out of, out of water. Their bottles are empty. What are they going to do? And instead of ask, saying, God, we need water. Lord, we trust you to provide for us. They begin to grumble and complain and say, God, why have you led us out here in this desert to die because of thirst? Now that's surprising in itself In Exodus 17, the waters of Meribah and that rock that they're going to, the water is actually going to be provided for. The way the story goes in Exodus 17, God tells Moses, strike the rock. And out of that rock pours out water for the people to drink. It continues to flow, apparently for a year. While they're there at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, would God bring them to Sinai, the place where he's going to have them in camp and hear from him and form a covenant with them that they begin to step into? Would God lead them there and not provide water for them? Not visible water, but he had water for them. And they could have, why could they have trusted him? Because they saw my works. They saw what I had done, God says. How could they not continue to trust me? They saw what I had done. What had they seen him do? Well, they saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw saw God first send Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh nicely, politely, and say, let my people go, that they may serve me. I've allowed them to be here serving you, but we're done with that. Let them go, that they may serve me, that they may come to me. And Pharaoh says, no, I don't think so. God says, we'll see. And they did see. Plague after plague that falls upon Egypt, and yet Israel is sheltered. And finally it comes to the last one, the the plague upon the firstborn that echoes all the way back to the first Adam. And the firstborn are going to die. And yet any who would put the blood of the Passover lamb over their door... the, the, uh, the, the, The death would pass over that household. They would be saved by faith in God's promise. And so through Passover, God brings his people in Exodus chapter 12 out of Egypt. And they experience God's deliverance. And they're on their way to this land that he has promised to them. But he doesn't take them the way I would go. If I was plotting, if I went to Google and I said, okay, we're going to get from here in the land of Goshen, we're going to get to the promised land, we would go the way of the sea. We would go the coastal highway. It's a nice, easy hike. These people aren't used to going long distances. They're not used to up and downs and certainly not desert travel. So, might be some Philistines along the way, but we'll deal with that when we get there. Let's go the straight, direct route while we will be there before the end of the week. That wasn't God's purpose. God had some time planned, some quality time with them there at Sinai, in fact. But first God had another lesson to show them, and he takes them a different route. God takes them out to the Red Sea. God takes them out to what appears to be a dead end. God takes them, God intentionally leads them to a place where they can't go further. They are trapped, they are hemmed in by the geography around them, the Red Sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's army, changing his mind, is rushing in behind them. Why did Moses lead us here? And the rebellion starts all over again. They had just seen God bring out a and when he brought him out of Egypt, he brought him out with the, with the jewelry of the Egyptians, the, which they would use to decorate the tabernacle. And yet so quickly, why has God brought us here just to die here at the Red Sea? And God, through Moses, says, Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord comes and moves in behind them and and is their rear guard between them and the Egyptians all night long, his very presence, while he blows back the Red Sea. And in the morning, they cross on dry land. He made the sea for them to be blocked in so they would need to rely on him. And he made for them the dry land. Israel's always been a dry land people. And so they go along, they are through the Red Sea, and they are singing songs. Exodus 15 is a wonderful song about um, uh, the Lord has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. God, God has wiped out Pharaoh's army, God has set us free. And you know what God did? He closed the door behind them. When the Red Sea flows back in, not only does it wipe out Pharaoh's army, but it closes the way behind them. We are not going back to Egypt. Because if they'd gone the way of the sea, when they ran into the Philistines, God said, they would simply turn around and hightail it back to leeks and onions by the Nile. And God didn't leave that open for them. We're going forward. Well, they get out there. The problem with going forward is we're out of food. The unleavened bread only lasted so long. And what are we going to eat now? What are we going to eat? We're starving to death. Why have you let us and our children out here to starve in the desert? And God provides manna. God provides manna for them every day. They wake up in the morning and there it is. And They say, what is it? That's what manna means. God provides it for them. That which they didn't even know what it was. And God has it for them every day but Saturday. No, they didn't starve on Saturday. They had twice as much on Friday. They tried to hoard it the rest of the week and it would grow grow rotten and full of worms. But on Friday they could get double. They would have enough for Saturday and it was just fine. Sunday would start all over again. God provided manna for them, and that's when they begin to grumble and say, well, what are we going to drink? Why have you let us here? They get past on their way to Kadesh Barnea, where they're going to send spies into the, into the Promised Land, but just before then, okay, we've got this manna. The manna's been great, but we've been eating manna for a while. You know, manna waffles, manna porridge, manna burgers, manna bread, after a while, we're a little tired of manna. and They say, can't you give us some meat? And God's like, ah, these people. Well, that was Moses, really. Where are we going to get meat for all these people, God? Moses Moses gets caught up in the grumblings of the people. That's the scary part, part of it all. And God says, Moses, 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 quit. Stop, stop. I got this. I always got this. And, and Moses says, they want meat. Okay, I'll give them meat. I'll give them... Love. Moses, where are you going to get all that meat? It's like asking God, where are you going to get... <laughs> where, where does God get anything? He just makes it. God's got this. And so, so God says, in fact, I'll give them so much meat. I'll give them so much meat, not for merely a day, not for merely a week. I'm going to give them meat for a month. I'm going to give them so much meat, it's going to be coming out of their nostrils. Hebrew is a picturesque language. When somebody gets mad, it says his nose got red. And when somebody's had too much of a good thing, it comes out his nostrils. Now, how does something come out your nostrils? Kids, you ever had that? Yeah, that's how that happens. Ew. That's what happened. Psalm 106, verse 15, is another one of these wilderness psalms. It's a great one to read. Psalm 106 captures that episode in what I think is one of the most fearful verses in the Bible. It says, He gave them, speaking of quail meat to eat, he gave them the desire of their heart, but he sent leanness unto their souls. Yeah, they got sick. He sent a wasting disease among them. There's no way to translate that, but I love the King James Version on this one. He sent leanness to their souls. Imagine that, full bellies, skinny souls. I would much rather have a skinny belly and a full soul and then they come to Kadesh they send the spies in, two come back with a good report the others it's a good land, it's everything God said it was but there's these giants in the land there's fortified cities, there's no way that we could do this on our own there's no way that we'd be able to conquer that land God never said they could God never said they would God said I got this, I will give it to you but they didn't believe and that's when, verse 10 For 40 years, I loathe that generation, he said. They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, verse 11, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They accused God of bringing them out there so that their children would die in the wilderness. And God said, those children who you said I would let die, they're going to be the ones to go in. But you're going to miss it because you wouldn't believe. Because you wouldn't trust me. That's the bottom line for missing God's blessing, is being unwilling to trust him. That's a theme that runs all the way through scriptures. They went astray in their hearts by not trusting God's ways for them as good. He says, they have not known my ways. They have not known that I am for them. I am with them. I will provide for them because I love them. But they wouldn't trust God for that. God had brought them out of bondage to have life with him in his blessed abundance. If only they would trust him for it. But they refused. And so they would not enter into his rest. That's, that's a serious warning. Because that's the warning that the psalmist brings forward to today. That's the the warning that the writer of Hebrews in chapters 3 and chapter 4 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the wilderness. They were, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. God's rest. For good news came to us, just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said, I swore in my wrath those who do not believe They will not enter my rest. So the writer of Hebrews, first of all, is is applying that wilderness moment to faith in Jesus, especially for first century Jewish people, who the book of Hebrews was, was initially written to. They had come to consider the idea, Jesus could be our Messiah. But, but they were in danger of not closing the deal. They were in danger of not coming to the point of trusting him as their savior. Trusting him as the one who gave them then a right and restored relationship with God. So the first rest that we would talk about out of this passage would be, first of all, a rest in God's provision for eternal life in Jesus. Do you have that rest from your own work? Your own striving, could I somehow be acceptable before God? Do you have that rest that I am acceptable to God? I am restored to God as his beloved child by faith in Jesus and what he did for me. That he took my guilt away. He removed everything that separated from me so that God's love was free to embrace me and bring me home. Do you have that rest? That's a rest from your own effort, a rest from your own works, a rest from your own striving, a rest in what God did for you in Jesus. That's the Hebrews 4 first application. But the Christian life is a life growing. Having believed in Jesus, we continue to grow in trusting God. I'm convinced that the Christian life is one episode after another where God poses the same question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me also in this? Will we trust God for what we don't yet see? Will we trust him on his terms rather than my terms? When I come to a point in a given situation where I'm willing to say, not my will, but your will be done, there in that moment in those situations, I'm trusting him more than I'm trusting me. Today, our rest as Christians In this circumstance, that we stand together in as a church, our rest is trusting God because we know, as the psalm says, that He is the great God and He is our God. He has got this and He has got us. We are His. I need to tell you a story back in 1992, now that would be thirty ish years ago in one thousand nine hundred and ninety two we left the Air Force God had called us into, into, God had called us to mission work, so part of that was then going and visiting churches and people and discovering where would our support come from. It was a faith mission the mission didn 't have a salary. Uh, each missionary, family, or individual raised support from those that God called to be part of that ministry. And so we were raising support in our mission, Transworld Radio. was a technically oriented mission, radio. And it typically took a family about three years from beginning to getting to the field. And somehow, what God was doing, we were on track to get to the field in just about a year of serious deputation. Just over a year in total, and we were going to be on the field. It was amazing. God was providing support, giving us all kinds of opportunities to share our story. And, and well, along with that, Swaziland was a fairly inexpensive um, place to go as missionary. So he got more bang for your missionary buck, Right. Well, about October of that year, sometime in October, towards the end of October, we got the news with our latest financial updates and reports on what God was doing with our support from from the mission, and we learned that the required support we needed to raise had gone up three different ways. Sound familiar? The, the cost of living on the field had gone up. The foreign exchange rate between the U.S. dollar and the local currency had gone up. And the base U.S. rate, which was used around the world for, for Transworld Radio's missionaries, had also gone up. So three different ways our support went up. So when we were over 80%, now we were down to just over 50% again. Sound familiar? And at that point, I would have thrown in the towel. I remember telling Julie... I would quit. I would stop now. I would, I, would, I would pull the plug on this whole thing. Except the Lord had led us so clearly this far. It was unmistakable. God had led us through his word. He'd spoken to us personally through his word. We would compare notes and check together, and God was telling Julie and I the same thing. He was confirming it to others around us, pastor and elders in our church. It was very clear that God had led us this far. And still, I was ready to pull the plug. I couldn't see how we could do it with those new support levels that we had to raise. I would have pulled the plug, but as as I told Julie... I said, God has led us so clearly. I don't have anywhere else to go. So half-heartedly, we must continue. I was working temporarily, a contracted employment, um, kind of week by week temp, filling at this at the at this electronics manufacturing place. And because of my background in the Air Force, I was I was. Um, I was way overqualified for the position they were using me in and they wanted to hire me. The company wanted to hire me instead of just keeping me on a contract where I might end up going somewhere else. And so they had invited me to that and I said, no, no, I appreciate that, but thanks, I'm just fine. I'm just doing this because I'm going to be going to Africa anytime now, real soon. Well, I came back to, to that employer and I said, if you still want to hire me, I'm, I'm willing. Now, I'm still planning on going to Africa. I wasn't going to completely sign off on that, but I, but I said, I don't know when that's going to happen. And so they said, okay, well, it's almost the end of the year now. Let's start in January. <laughs> right? So, okay, January 1st, start of a new year, new tax year and everything. They would, they would start me as a permanent employee with the company, and that was all good. Started in January. Now I wasn't a contractor. I was a permanent employee. And then God began to work in our support. Through the month of January, we had the biggest part of that gap filled. We were over 90%. At the end of January, we were buying airline tickets, we were setting our departure date, and yes, by the end of January, before the end of the month, I was giving my two weeks' notice to the employer that had just hired me. It was a little embarrassing, but clearly I could tell him, I had no idea what our God was able to do for us according to his good purposes. You see, like at the Red Sea, God led me to a place where I couldn't do it. Only God could, and he did. God seems to have brought us at a, as a church to a Red Sea kind of moment. I see before us a path and, and obstacles that, that I, would, I would not have chosen from the beginning. But as God clearly led and provided for us this far, will we as a church remember his faithfulness or will we fear? Will we worship in gratefulness or will we grumble? Now, there's a difference between good questions and grumbling. It's the difference between Mary and Zacharias in the, in the incarnation, in the, in, the, in the Christmas Advent narratives. Remember, Zacharias asked the question, and the Lord says, okay, we're done here, and he doesn't talk for nine months. Mary, on the other hand, asks the question, and Gabriel gives her an answer. What's with that? Favoritism, clearly. Well, there's a difference between asking a question to argue and debate the point versus asking a question to understand so that your faith doesn't stumble. We can ask questions. But will we bow our will in worshipful affirmation that God is the great God who owns the sea and the dry land? Or will we say it's too high? It's too deep. Will we blame Moses and Aaron? Will we blame Joshua's and Caleb's? Or will we bless God for what he has done and trust him for what we don't yet see? We can trust God to continue to lead us and provide for us as a church. When when Julie and I first came to Brush Prairie almost 18 years ago now, We met this sweet young couple they had a couple of little kids, and they came up to us. They were helping in the youth ministry. I think it was a youth ministry night that I, we had this conversation. They said, yeah, we're going to the mission field. And they're probably excited to tell 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 me, because Julie and I had just come from Africa when, when God called us here to Brush Prairie. And uh, so they were just so excited about that. And I'm asking them some questions, and they seemed woefully unprepared. In fact, uh, I asked them where they were going. Well, they didn't know exactly who they were going with, what mission organization. Well, they had some ideas, but they really weren't sure. None of that was confirmed, um, They didn't know how this was all going to happen. They were clear that God had called them. And they began to take next steps. And as they took those next steps, there, there, there were some green lights and there were some diversions along the way. And there were some hopes that they had thought this was the way and that got changed. And that was a bit of a setback at the time. And yet there... Their eyes were always on the Lord and where He would lead. Along the way, we saw them, I saw Rob also leave his job in order to first go to candidate school and then on onto language, on, on language school. I saw them sell their house. I saw them uh, leave for language school when they didn't yet have the support to, to survive through language school, trusting that God would provide. And after all these years, and how many has it been now with WEC? Fifteen? Fifteen years now. And they're back again to just give us another update of what's going on lately and how the Lord has been using them in WEC. So go ahead, come on up and, and share some of that update. And, and we hear this in the context from Rob and Laura Evans from Brush Prairie Church, sent first to Cornavaca, Mexico, and uh, now serving with the same mission, WEC International, in um, Fort Washington. Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. But I'm,
1: I'm getting into your story now, so please. Good morning. Thank you for giving me this extra time at the end of the Sunday service. Uh, and just to let you know, we, uh, we work with WEC International. Um, this is a mission that uh, was started over 100 years ago by a guy named C.T. Studd. Um, he was from England, he was a prominent member of a prominent family, and uh, he had everything going for him. He had a name, uh, he had money, and he had fame as well for, for being a, a professional cricketer, kind of like baseball today. Anyway, so he, he came to know the Lord, and he said he wanted to follow the Lord, and he wanted to trust the Lord. So he got rid of his name, he got rid of his money, and he wanted to trust the Lord for everything. And he went uh, first went to China, then went to India, uh, with uh, other missions. And then he thought to himself, well, where is the most uh, unreached place in the world? And he believed that to be the Congo in Africa. And so he went to the Congo to the least reached people groups. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the same mission for WEC today to reach the unreached, the remaining unevangelized people groups in the world. Uh, we have three purposes, uh, proclaim the gospel evangelism share the gospel both in word and in deed uh, to plant churches among the unreached and then to gather people that's not just planting churches but establishing churches and churches in the word of God um, so that they can reach out to their communities and send people there to their communities send the gospel there to beyond as well um, and it comes full circle because then it is uh, mobilized for missions So that's where we work with the local churches and help them uh, develop their people, train their people, and send their people out on the mission field to do the same thing, to proclaim the gospel, plant churches, establish churches, so on and so forth. So there's, uh, WEC has several, uh, many uh, sending bases all throughout the world where these different sending bases in different countries are sending people out. And as Pastor Bob had mentioned, we first went uh, we first went to Mexico and, uh, and we worked with the sending base there and helped the local church train and send their missionaries out. Uh, and then, and then God had uh, had a different direction. So uh, to back up just a little bit, it was definitely uh, a step of faith to to consider going away, um, joining a mission agency, having a job, a decent job. Uh, going for 13 weeks somewhere where you don't know if at the end of the 13 weeks you're going to be accepted for that position as a missionary. And so we just, we we weren't hearing a booming voice from heaven from the Lord saying, be a missionary with WEC uh, or anything like that. It was just we we wanted to do missions. We didn't know where. Uh, We didn't have any clue what we would be doing. I definitely didn't see myself preaching or teaching, or going out in a village somewhere to, to share the gospel with the tribal people group. But we wanted to serve him, and we knew it would be in missions. We felt that general call, and so we just took a step. And slowly, after we took that step of faith, uh, God began to firm the ground underneath our feet, so to say, Uh, confirmed it again there was a step that we had taken earlier that he did not confirm and pastor Bob kind of shared that a little bit there was another mission we went with and God said no not that direction go this way and so uh, after that discouragement we continued and uh, and the Lord carried us through Um, and then we went to Mexico uh, and God said uh, well, God didn't say anything, booming voice or anything, but we did get a, a call from the U.S. sending base asking for us to consider uh, when we're done with this, with this term or maybe next term just to consider working in the finance office at of the U.S. sending base. And, and so we prayed about it. We weren't, we weren't thinking we would go that direction, but uh, as we were praying about it, as we investigated it more, we saw that there was a need there. Um, just like we didn't know what we were doing on the field in Mexico, we asked them, where do you need help? And so we just wanted to serve the Lord wherever we could. Um, and, and in this case, uh, so, by the way, this is my wife, Laura, my daughter, Ellie. I'm a little distracted here, sorry. Uh, so, so Pastor Bob had mentioned we went with two little ones. She was not one of those two. Uh, the two little ones are those two very tall ones there hannah she's 20 now josiah is 17. Um, they are both doing their thing uh, right now Uh, both going to college josiah's learning to be a welder and hannah is going to study to be a uh, biomedical engineer sounds like a mouthful right Uh, but uh, but we're very proud of them we love them and this is ellie and she's 11 and, and she is here with us on this trip for which we're very thankful uh, but just, uh, just to encourage you to, uh, to serve uh, and go where God is calling you. And sometimes, uh, well, let's, let's go to the next slide here, sorry. Uh, let me just mention here. So, so God called us to the U.S. Sending Base. And at the U.S. Sending Base, that's in Pennsylvania. Um, we've, we followed the Lord in that direction to, to meet the need that was there, trained to be finance director. But that location, it's a missional community. Very intentional community. People that work there also live there. And that's where we have our 13-week candidate orientations, where we train missionaries uh, to go out with WEC. And so there's some mobilization where you make the, the, the need known to people. Um, some recruiting that happens, training, mentoring. You can see Laura there. She's, she's uh, praying with uh, Cambry Yoder. Evan and Cambry are now working in England with, uh, with Patel, a, an addiction ministry. Uh, to to addicts there Uh, but there's that that goes on their training and mentoring uh, we send and then when they're already on the field we pray we support them just like Brush Prairie has prayed and supported us for so many years care for them um, and refresh them when they come back for a furlough or for a visit to the hill Um, and we pray for them all along the way as well and that's the that's our intentional mission community that we have there on the hill and uh, go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, so in the finance office, the way that we do this is we're caring for and supporting uh, hundreds of different missionaries around the world and different projects. Gifts come in for them. We help process those gifts. And, uh, and that's a way that we can care for and serve our, our missionaries that are out there. And one of the, one of the difficult things, uh, we kind of... Well, I know, I know for... Uh, Laura specifically, and many of the people that come to work at the home base, they kind of go through an identity crisis, uh, thinking, wait a second, uh, I'm not overseas anymore. Am I still a missionary? And, uh, you know, is my, is my role here is equal to this role? And, and we had to come to grips with the fact that it's a body, just like the body of Christ. Every role is important. Every contribution that a person makes in service is just as important as, you know, the pastor that's up front it all it all adds up um, to the great commission of getting the gospel out and seeing God's kingdom come. And so I just want to share a, a verse here for you, a couple verses, about how, however small your role is, um, it really does matter, and it matters especially to God. Uh, in Matthew 20, 27 to 28, Jesus said, to his disciples, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And Paul says in Galatians 5.13, but through love serve one another. So I encourage you uh, to get involved in the church um, in God's rescue mission to save the lost uh, because he gave his life as a ransom for my soul, for your soul, and for their soul. And to, to uh, quote a famous quote uh, by C.T. Studd, you may have heard this before, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And so I encourage you, um, even in the midst of what you're going through right now as a church with this building project, uh, God has given you a gift. He's given you an opportunity to see his glory and to give him praise. And, uh, and just like in the desert, uh, as they were fleeing Egypt, they were going in one direction, and God says, I want to take you this way. I want to go through the Red Sea. And it was for, for his glory and for his praise. And so I just would encourage you as a congregation in that to see how you can follow the Lord and serve the Lord in this, in whatever small or great capacity it is. Thank you. You know,
0: there's something about... Um being,
1: being encouraged and even
0: a little bit challenged by a family that has sacrificed to serve the Lord as He has called them. Uh, thank you for that. And even as you, as you support the ministry of work that's happening around the world and continue with daily, sometimes regular, mundane work that matters and makes all of that. That's how God does these things, through your hands as well. So we want to be that kind of support. You are to missionaries around the world in your family. We want to be, as your church family, that support to you as well. So uh, I know one of the ways that we do that is we as a church support you, but also individuals within the church are also able to support you through WEC. Is that right? You do allow that? Yes. 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 Okay, they, they, they won't tell you we need support because this, this is a faith mission. There really is a faith mission. But uh, ask them. Ask them how, how you might. Uh, one of the things that's thrilled me is while we've been in a building project, we've also been um, used in surprising ways to support new missionaries going to the field. And this is a family worth partnering with. Part of. Let's pray for them. Father, thank you for Rob and Laura. Thank you for Ellie. Thank you, Lord, for for their work with WEC International. We thank you that their work from Pennsylvania is an international work. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a part in that, that we share that with them. Uh, Father, help us to continue to be an encouragement and a blessing to them. But Lord, provide all that they need as well as a family in these new stages, uh, Lord, that you would provide what they need and that, Lord, you would encourage them as they serve others. Lord, may we also hear from their example. May we yield our hearts in similar ways to whatever it is that you call each of us to and as a church together. So, Father, thank you for them. We ask your blessing upon them in full and abundant provision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is going to be a lunch uh, in the cafe after the service. You can uh, learn more about their ministry, ask questions and so on. But today, through God's word, perhaps even through their testimony, today, hear his voice. Trust the Lord in your circumstances individually, whatever they are. You can trust him. Trust the Lord in the midst of our church building challenges that our God is the great God who is over all things. And the great God is our God, our Savior, who is with us and who is for us.